The Lord be with you. A reading of the Holy Gospel according to John. Jesus said to his disciples, I have much more to tell you, but you cannot bear it now. But when he comes, the spirit of truth, he will guide you to all truth. He will not speak on his own, but he will speak what he hears and will declare to you the things that are coming. He will glorify me because he will take from what is mine and declare it to you. Everything that the Father has is mine. For this reason I told you that he will take from what is mine and declare it to you. The Gospel of the Lord. The Lord be with you. The Feast of the Holy Trinity involves what is for us Christians the deepest mystery of our faith. And that's certainly saying a lot because there's a lot of mysteries in our faith. A mystery is something that's just too infinitely great to fully comprehend. And if understanding God is hard enough when you say that God is a trinity of three persons in one nature, it just becomes even more mysterious. I'd like to talk a little bit about this question that many people ask, which is, does God exist at all? Everyone got quiet for a second there. I'm not saying I don't believe in God. I'm just saying it's a normal part of human existence to ask that question, to kind of look up to the stars and wonder if there's anyone up there listening. Well, the Bible can help us, but the Bible doesn't really answer the question about whether God exists. It's answering a different question, but let's start with that first question, because we don't need the Bible to prove that God exists. There's a lot of philosophers like Plato and Aristotle that would have totally understood that there is some God. So I want to give a few, how about, since this is the Trinity, we should probably do things in three. Let's do three proofs for God's existence that aren't in the Bible or not really religious. They're just philosophical. And the first, you could say, argument that I was wanting to share this morning is what they call a metaphysical argument for God. Now I need to preface this by saying my brother, Father Jason, is a PhD in philosophy and in metaphysics and he'll be here in two weeks and he'll probably listen to this homily and try to correct it in two weeks. So that's, uh, it's just gonna happen. So in two weeks when he comes in, you just know what he's gonna be up to um, for sure. A metaphysical argument is something that is an argument that goes beyond physics. That's what meta means, beyond physics. Because physics sometimes hits a wall in science and we can't really explain. We can't go further. And this one argument has to deal with things being in motion or movement. Physics would say anything that's moving is moving because of another. We don't move ourselves. If a baseball bounces into your backyard, you don't think that the ball moved itself. You imagine someone threw it or a bat hit it, right? Something moved that something. 
And if you kind of go back from that ball, you can say, well, why'd the ball move to the yard? Well, it was hit by a bat. Well, why was, you know, what moved the bat? Well, it was the hands of the person who swung it. Well, what made that person move? And you can sort of go back and back and back, but you can't go back infinitely. At some point, you're going to have to say, well, there had to have been something that moves itself. You can get all the way back, you can get to the point of us being on a planet hurtling through space and the cosmos and, well, where did the cosmos come from? You can say, well, it's the Big Bang. And then you still have to ask the question, well, what caused the Big Bang? That unmoved mover, that uncaused causer, is another name for God. That's a metaphysical argument, which is a little theoretical. Let's do something a little closer to home, an anthropological one that's right in our human hearts. This one was made famous by uh, theologian C.S. Lewis. He talks about the desires in our heart. All of us here desire food. We all hunger. And we can't have a desire that's universal for something that doesn't exist. We would not be hungry if we didn't need food and food didn't exist. And so we hunger, food exists. We thirst because water exists. We yearn and desire intimacy because love exists. We desire to know because truth exists. And you can't stop yourself from desiring to know. We all do it. If I had a little box up here and I said, this is a mystery box. There's something really special in the box, but I'm not going to show you. We'd all want to know what was in the box. And I mean, you can pretend like you don't, but deep down you really want to know what would be in the box, right? It's, we can't stop that desire to know. Now, there's desires that we have that aren't universal. Some might want their team to win the Super Bowl or... Some of the kids here might want to receive a letter from an owl that says you're going to study at Hogwarts, right? But those things that only some people want but not everyone wants are not always real. So C.S. Lewis says, you know what the deepest desire that we all have is? We all want to be happy. And we all want to be happy forever. If we all want it, it has to be real. And it's not going to be found in this life. No one here can say that they're perfectly happy. Because we all know that at some point, whatever it is is going to come to an end. Our life will end and we're yearning for something that will never end. A joy that's total, complete, and infinite. And that's another way, another name for God. Everlasting joy. Now, to finish with the third one, and for the sake of time, we'll keep the third one brief. It has to do with aesthetics and the idea of, the idea of beauty. So you can say that in our world, beauty exists, therefore God exists. And to make it more concrete, you can say something like, the music of Beethoven exists, therefore God exists. If you're ever in a, maybe a, listening to Handel's Messiah around Christmas time and it's a live performance. It's just so mesmerizing and powerful that you just realize something more than just something natural and human is happening. Something divine is there. 
Now, don't think that I like listen to classical music all the time, right? I don't think I can name a single thing Beethoven wrote, but um, just think of if you're at a jazz bar or something and someone is, you know, the guitarist is just riffing off of something and everyone's just spellbound watching that beautiful moment happen and, and you just know in your heart there's something more than just natural here. There's something divine because beauty exists, God exists. Now, the Bible isn't worried about that question. The problem is that the God of the philosophers, a God who's an unmoved mover, a God who is everlasting joy, a God who is beauty, is still a God that we know nothing about. And one of the hardest challenges to us people of faith that God is really there is when people say, but you know, the world is such an awful place. Little kids get hurt and suffer all the time. If there is a God who created this world, he must not be a God that we should ever want to be close to. And that's a powerful argument. And that's the argument, the idea of why the world is so awful at times. That's what God the Father, that's the question he wanted to answer in the Bible. Not that God is, but who God is. And so the question of the Bible is trying to tell us a story. It begins with Adam and Eve and the fall of Adam and Eve where they stopped believing in God and they wanted to be their own God. And so the answer that the Bible gives us, do you want to know why the world is such an awful place? It's because humans choose to do evil. God gave them freedom so they could love, and they used that freedom to not love. And the Father created the whole world. We messed it up, and so God sent the Son. And Jesus says, if you see me, you see the Father. And before Jesus died, he says, do you know what? you know the greatest proof you could ever have that if they are willing? Jesus said that right before he died on the cross as a proof that we are loved and then Jesus ascended to heaven and he said, don't worry, I'm not leaving you. We're going to send the Father and I will send the Spirit. And the God descended in fire and Pentecost to be with us through our baptism. That we have the Spirit of God within us to console us, to encourage us, to strengthen us, to help us to see the world through God's eyes. Well, that story of a God who's three persons that is a trinity of love that's the story of the Bible. In fact, one of the last things that was written for the Bible, the Apostle John, in his old, old age, he was writing letters to the church, and his letters get more and more simple, and he ends by saying, my brothers and sisters, God is love. And so the Bible is telling us a whole different story. It's painting a picture for who God is. The God of the philosophers is not enough, but the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob, our God, that is a powerful and beautiful mystery that today we should give thanks for. Remember, every time you make the sign of the cross, it's also the sign of the Trinity. And I always finish my homilies and thanksgiving by saying, may God bless us in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Amen.